Well, good morning, everybody. We know a lot of you guys, but just for those that we don't, introduce ourselves to you. I'm Don Menendez, my wife Jane. Um, the uh, Cameron asked us to uh, do a uh, one-word. Um, put that down button, Jane, would you please? Somewhere on the right side there. There you go. Uh, a one-word um, uh, lesson on uh, uh, for the Faith and Family um, series, a vision for parenting in one word. So the word that we chose is intentionality. So uh, let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that you have brought us to this point in time and this day, Lord. Uh, I suspect that everybody in this uh, room, uh, most everybody has small children. And uh, we're grateful now, Lord God, for a moment of just some peace. And we ask that you would slow down our our hearts and our uh, minds and our thoughts and, and have us focus on what you would have us learn in this next 30 minutes here, Lord God. And we know that if that happens, it's because you are merciful and good and gracious. Uh, and we are thankful for that. So now, Lord God, we pray that you would search us and know our hearts, try us and know our thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Jane, it's all yours. <laughs> we practice this a lot. Um, all right. Um, Don and I have, we have four children, six grandchildren, um, so we have done a lot of parenting. Um, and we heard early on in our, when we just had young children, a metaphor that really kind of stuck with us um, throughout our parenting. And that metaphor was, um, our job as parents is to really pack our children's suitcase so that when they leave us, they are prepared and equipped for life's journey. And, you know, as parents, we tuck, whether we know it or not, we're, we're tucking things into our children's suitcases. And we took all, tuck all sorts of things in. We tuck in good education, uh, a, uh, ability to play sports, an appreciation of the arts, um, how to write a good thank you note, how to shake one, somebody's hand and look them in the eye. Um, so we, we get busy and we put all these things into their suitcase and we're doing this because down deep we want life to go well for our children. Um, we are all very, in this room, very intentional about our children's education about their sports, about their extracurricular activities, about their community, community service. Um, and we're so busy trying to fit it all in that sometimes we let the tail rag the dog. And we really kind of skip over the thing that's most essential, most foundational for our children. And that really is helping them to develop a true and lively faith that's their own. And, you know, when our children go out into the world, they really need the strength and the comfort and the power that comes from a strong faith. Um, can you imagine the sorrow of watching your child as an adult facing some kind of crisis, um, whether it's their marriage, whether it's something in their career, whether it's the loss of a family member, and kind of rummaging through this metaphorical suitcase, looking for something, um, some kind of resource, some kind of ability 
to be able to deal with the things that life throws at you and coming up empty. And I don't think any any of us would want that. And it really hit Don and I when we had young children that we needed to be intentional about packing our children's suitcase. Try not to let, and I think this is really difficult in our community, try not to let the busyness of life distract us from that which is so important. Does that make sense? Okay, so I want to go to a verse that we went to really time and time again, and we actually said it when we were um, in the installation of the Sunday school teachers. We read a portion of this. Um, and this is from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And that is a powerful verse. And I just want to go through it real quickly. Ask a couple of questions. This is Moses talking. Who's he talking to? Rita? (laughs) He's talking to God's people. He's talking to the the people of Israel. He's talking to all God's people throughout time. It's a universal message to the people of God. What's the first instruction he gives them? Love your Lord, your God. That's an instruction in there, but it's not the first one. What's the first one? Hear. Hear. Exactly. We are to hear. What does it mean to hear? Take heed. Exactly. To hear, when it's in Scripture, it means more than just going in one ear and out the other. There's an intentionality to the hearing. You are to hear, and there's also an implied do. There's a a hear and an implied obey. So you hear, you attend to what is being said. Um, Then we're to hear God's word, but why are we to hear God's word? And to answer that, we need to go back a little bit in Deuteronomy. And this is the first verse and the third. It says, now this is the commandment the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them. And there's that connection between hearing and doing. Hear, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. And I love that because we are to hear God's word and attend to it So life may go well for us and go well for our children. And golly, I think that's what we all want. We want life to go well for our children. Um, 
So scripture is telling us here that the most important thing we can do if we want life to go well for ourselves and our children is to first hear God's word. And we can't let that hearing get crowded out by life's distractions. We really need to hear. And I didn't grow up in a house where I heard God's word preached or taught or spoken of. Um, Don and I got married right after college. A year later, our first child was born. Um, fast forward, when we moved to Birmingham, we all of a sudden ended up with four children. Um, and we went to church and we went here because that's what nice people did. You just, on Sunday mornings, you get up, you go to church. And, um, our kids at this age were probably, you know, seven, five, three, and, um, newborn. Um, and it was one Sunday morning. I remember it very vividly. Don is shaving in the bathroom and I'm kind of in the dressing area trying to get myself dressed trying to get trying to get the older two boys to put on their own clothes, trying to help the younger two. And I have a son who is peppering me with questions. And you know how you are when you're mom, you're you're half paying attention. And so he's over there going, Mom, 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 did do good people go to hell? And I think No, I don't think good people go to hell. And I'm trying to not really pay too much attention. And then he's asking me again, well, mom, 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 was Jesus good? And I'm going, okay, I can answer this one. Yes, Jesus was very good. And, you know, now tie your shoes. And then he asked me this. He said, well, if Jesus is good and good people don't go to hell, why did Jesus go to hell? I had no idea how to answer that question. I noticed my husband who's shaving in the bathroom closes the door with his foot leaving me to my own resources and the only thing I could do was make up an answer and ask him if he'd like a donut for breakfast and just distract him from this line of questioning. I had no idea how to answer my children's questions. And what really struck us is that we needed to hear. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. We needed to hear. And we really both started reading scripture. And we got involved in a small group, a couple small group, and then he was in a men's small group and I was in a women's small group. And we got, we started teaching Sunday school because when you teach, you learn. And we really began to hear and listen as the word was preached and taught on Sunday mornings. And for kids, getting everybody to church is difficult. But I will tell you, it was something that we were very intentional about and really guarded that time. And I'm so grateful that we did. And I know when you get into church and you have kids with you, it can be kind of hectic and it's kind of hard to worship. Um, and I was reminded of that this morning when we had five grandchildren all sitting with us and we were just very disruptive. Um, it's difficult, but golly, it's worth it. It really is. I mean, in terms of the things that we were intentional about, being in church on Sunday mornings, having our kids in Sunday school, 
that is that really was huge for us. Um, so first instruction is to hear the word of God. So life will go well. The second instruction is what? Do why we yeah, thank you. To love. Yeah. To love the Lord your God. Now, have you ever really kind of stopped and thought about that? You know, we say that every, you know, we are, what's the first and great commandment? To love the Lord your God. And we are commanded to love. And I used to wonder why the first and great commandment wasn't you ought to fear the Lord your God or trust in the Lord your God or Praise the Lord your God. Because all of those seemed a little easier to me. I mean, how I would really think, and I would almost, and I hate to admit this, but people who would say, I love Jesus, I just kind of looked at him with a little bit of skepticism. I didn't, I, that, that, that was a concept that for me, not growing up in a household of faith, I had to really kind of wrestle with. And um, what really happened as I began to study God's word and hear God's word, is all of a sudden I heard who God was. I heard about his heart. I heard about the God who came after Adam, who was naked and hiding and ashamed, and didn't chastise him but said, where are you? I heard about the God who came to Moses in the burning bush and said, I see your afflictions. I hear your cry. I know your sufferings. And I have come down to deliver you. I heard about a God who numbers the hairs on my head. And the God who engraves my names on the palms of his hand. And the God who emptied himself and took the form of a servant and was born in our likeness that he could die so I could live. And as I heard about God, I didn't have to sit there and kind of conjure up a love for God. A love for God just began to develop and grow. And it really came from hearing his word and hearing about his character and hearing about his heart. And I think St. John said it best when he said, we love because he first loved us. And that is, we really don't have to conjure up a love for God. When this commandment is saying, we shall love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, that love comes from hearing about God's love for us. And I think that's really important. I just want to stop right there and see if there are any questions or any thoughts about that. Does that make sense? Does that kind of hit home a little bit? D.Y., anything to add? I don't think so. I think that the, the point that it, it, for a lot of people, the love part comes easily. That's just the way God's wired up. But for, for a good number of people, too, the concept of loving a God that you don't, you can't physically see or audibly speak to or whatever um, presents that kind of hurdle that you're talking yeah. about. Now, it was a hurdle for me. I could easily, more easily revere God than this love for God. And then the other thing is, if you think about it, this is probably not a, a great way to think about it, but anybody you've loved, first you have to even know they exist. You can't love mm-hmm. them, you don't know they exist. And I used to think about this 
uh, my relationship with Jane. And so first I know she existed. Then um, I had to finally talk to her. Uh, and then I had to know um, more about, and, and so, and th then I wanted to see her all the time because, you know, I talked to her and was interested in her. I wanted to see her all the time. Then I started to learn more and more about her. Then when, even when I wasn't with her, I would say things like, huh, I wonder what Jane would think about this, or ooh, she would really love this because I was starting to know her and love her, right? Um, and then uh, I wouldn't even have to say that. I knew exactly what she would think about something or exactly what she loved or not loved. And think about it from a God perspective, the same thing. As you start to uh, get in a relationship with, with God, and many of you all are, are I'm sure, here, that it has moved from, boy, I wonder what God thinks about this, what's going on in my life, what's, you know, and that's a, a prayer life. And then it moves eventually to, you know the word enough to say, I think I understand. There, there's, I know a place where this is, where God has spoken to this particular circumstance in my life, and I start to know it. So I think it's a pattern that kind of mm -hmm. develops that uh, is a similar pattern that we have humanly. So. Now, any other thoughts? All right, so first we have to hear, then we are commanded to love God. What's the third instruction? Teach. Yeah, teach. These words should be on your heart, and you shall teach them to your children. Um, whose responsibility is it to teach? Ours. Ours. Yeah, the church is here to support us. But we are the front lines with our children. We don't have to be the experts. We've got a wealth of people to draw upon. But it's our responsibility as parents and grandparents to teach our children. Um, I want to show a quick clip. And this is very grainy. Um, so you just have to kind of get over that. But this is an old anti-smoking commercial. Like father, like son. I'm using Edgar's Wi-Fi, so take just a second. Oh, that's the Advent Wi-Fi well, doesn't reach down here. I was here noon passwords, so, and Edgar's was available, so. <laughs> well, what you can't see is the little Apple spinning wheel on there. Jane will come back to it. Okay. It's locked up. Is it? Did he? Oh, there. Is that it? Oh, I, uh, let's see. I'm, all, I'm actually on. I'm actually on. <laughs> oh. Well, I'll, I'll get. Did anybody go to Zach Hicks's Sunday school class last week? All right. Well, then this will be new. And if I don't quote him exactly, nobody will know. Um, he had a great Sunday school class. And someone asked him the question. Um, how to lead your children. He was talking about worship. How do you lead your children to worship God? And his answer was great. He said, let them watch you. He said, let them see you weep during a hymn. Let them see you on your knees before someone greater than you, before the Lord. 
um, let them see you, let them hear you speak the creed with gusto. And I think he is right on because the best thing we can do to really shape our children's faith is to work on our own faith. I mean, that is the number one thing. I cannot think of anything more important, and I think this is, we've said this forever. The number one thing you can do is to work on your own faith. Um, tell you a real quick story. We have friends who have children and grandchildren um, in Mississippi. And our friends are the grandparents, and they were babysitting their grandsons a year ago come November. And it was the night of the Ole Miss-Auburn game. And I don't know, and these kids are avid Ole Miss fans. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, but there was a heartbreak at the end of that game. And um, the wide receiver for, the, for Ole Miss was crossing the goal line. He was hit, he fumbled the ball, and he was seriously injured. And as our friends were watching this with their seven-year-old grandson, that play happened. He burst into tears, fled the room, jumped on his parents' bed, and he was weeping inconsolably. And when my friend was telling me the story, I thought, where did his passion for Ole Miss come from? Where do you think his passion for Ole Miss came from? His parents, he, he, they lived and breathed Ole Miss football. I mean, they, when the game was coming up, they were talking about the game, the pregame commentary. They watched the, you know, watched things, they watched the game on TV. They replayed plays. Um, they listened to all the analysis that was going on. Children learn what's important by watching what's important to us. And the best way to teach our children about faith is to let our let them see our faith and our love for God. Go. Oh, okay, good. Right on cue, right? Right on cue. It's just, just cheesy music. I think this is so cute. And then you hear the voiceover, like father, like son. But I think that's great. Could you imagine if that had ended and they're sitting under the tree? I mean, they've, they started out, they're painting the house. The little boy's over there painting with the daddy. You know, they're driving down the road. And the father, this is old, when you had to stick your hand out for a turn signal, the little kid's back there sticking his hand out, throwing the rock. Um, if the father had picked up a Bible, what that would have said to that child. And it is so, I just think it's, we have no idea how, what, how much what's important to us becomes important to our children. 
and it really is having um, having that and I, and I like the instruction back in Deuteronomy that if we are hearing God's word everything flows from that our love from God flows from that and that just comes through to our children it's not like we have to sit down and say okay now we're having a Sunday school class they just see what's important to it it comes up in our conversation it comes up around the dinner table we look at just being out in the woods you you notice God's glory um, you the parables spring to life and you can use them as illustrations with your children and so it's it's so important to hear God's word and I was reading the adventure that just came out and Andrew was talking about you know he's been on sabbatical and he said something kept pushing its way forward while he was away and he said he says what I have come to understand is the need to stay rooted in the Word of God and allow the Spirit to do His work through the reading of the Bible. And that's the hearing of God's Word. And if we really want to pack our children's suitcase full to the brim so that life will go well for them, we have to first and foremost work on our own faith. If we want our child to have a true and lively faith and be well-equipped for the journey, the number one, number two, number 99 thing we need to do is to work on our own faith, and everything will flow out of that. So questions, comments? All right, D.Y.? I was a questions and comments guy. <laughs> oh. all right. That's all right. That's all right. So um, we, we've got some resources for you because you know you don't want, you only remember a certain part of what you hear. Uh, we did this once before for uh, parents of confirmands or whatever, and we asked the question uh, of uh, uh, probably some of you in this room. We asked this question and we sent an email out, and the question was this: How can a parent be most helpful and intentional? about their child's spiritual development. And this was for a confirmation class that we added in the years of junior high and high school. How can a parent be most helpful and intentional about a child's spiritual development in the years of junior high and high school? We sent them out to uh, uh, people at the church, Frank Limehouse at the time. Uh, everybody was on the clergy. We sent it out. We sent it out to Dickie Barlow, who was the, is the superintendent of Mountain Brook City Schools and an educator for 30 years, uh, and other people like that who we knew had a lively faith and uh, and uh, and um, uh, had dealt with young people, so young life leaders and that kind of thing. And so I'm not going to go through all of this, but just ask you to take a look at them for you to use later on. Um, there were some interesting thoughts, and see if we garner just a little bit of discussion. One per couple, One per couple probably work. That's right. We actually also have some children who were like he was 20 years old and got and got this based on what they saw in the house they grew up in. Look at the first one, item J on the second page. This person said, that's a hard question. I wish there was a checklist to follow with steps to take. Unfortunately, that's not reality. I think one of the most important things to convey to your child is grace. At the end of the day, I want my children to feel God's love for them even when they mess up. Because they will and I will too. 
Show them that as children of God through Christ we are loved and we are forgiven no matter what we do. There's no need to earn it, which was the uh, uh, sermon drama and what gets preached from our pulpit very often. It's already there. Christ did that for us. I think if I had really understood this earlier in my life, my relationship with God would have grown and developed much sooner. And then, and I don't remember who these came from. We stripped it. It's been so long. I have no idea whether these were from young people or older people. Uh, but uh, I remember getting cue and, and kind of smiling. All of this presupposes that the parents are believers and engaged in an active faith. Mm-hmm. It may have been a lawyer, I think, that was make, pointing out a, an important fact. Uh, but, again, saying that uh, if they're not working on their own walk with God, uh, that, that it's hard to do. It's really interesting because we didn't, all we did was ask that question. And so many of them really did come down on this issue of, in one way or another, working on having an active and lively faith for yourself. And doesn't that make sense? Um, yeah. Let them see is in there a lot of times. I mean, that's kind yep. of the first words of about four or five of And you can see some people, books play an important part. Uh, everybody, uh, many people seem to talk about scripture. Um, and uh, but this is uh, what, what this said to us. One of the things it said to us was just making it a, a, a part of your everyday life because it really is. It's a um, uh, if it starts to become a part of your life. It's, have you ever bought a car and you thought it was a uh, a pretty unique car, and then you take it off the lot and you start driving around for the first week? What happens? See, See that car everywhere. You know, it's the same way. Uh, as we start to grow in our faith, we see, we see, we see God's providence and God's provision and, uh, God's order and God's creation everywhere that we, that we go and everything we do. And so it's a very easy thing to, to come out naturally, uh, with your kids. The other thing that I wanted to say, uh, any questions, comments, thoughts about any of these, these questions here? You can keep them, talk about them. I have one thing yeah. that I'd add. Um, I, I, the thing that you, you, the excuse I hear more often than not is we just don't have time. I mean, I think that is whatever I feel is that crunch. And um, I don't think this is you – will, you will never have time. And I really thought that when I got to this stage in life, my kids were out of the house, I would have more time to de- devote to things of God. And if anything, I have less time. And I don't know what it is, if I'm just slower or what, but it, you will never have the, the, the door, the seas will never part and the clouds <laughs> will never depart and you can just have all the time in the world. Uh, you have to make time. You really do. You have to make it a priority. And, um, Everything will float from that. Yeah, as clearly the oldest people by a long distance in this room, we're offering that as encouragement. Yeah. That uh, that uh, it's just it's just not the case. Uh, we're 60 years old and life is busier today than we had four kids under our roof. I, we have no idea how that happens, but this you know. It's the biggest one of the biggest surprises to me in life is right. that I really did and, not and I thought it, I'd be looking for. Everybody's to circumstances do. are different. Uh, this is like for way ahead encouragement. The minute you see that sliver of light that's empty nest, grab it. Take advantage of it instantly. Uh, and I think what a lot of people don't really realize is once your last child gets in college, that's empty nest. Okay? As long as you're not living with you. Consider that empty nest and start celebrating empty nest at that juncture uh, because it moves pretty quickly. All right. The second thing that, that I wanted to say, and, and just in the interest of full disclosure, 
Um, I, I, uh, I told Jane she's really a good teacher and she really should do all this and it's a very limited amount of time for rally day, et cetera. So I kind of abandoned her like in the, the, the uh, uh, restroom in her story. Uh, um, and uh, so I didn't know, she, but she got me back. I didn't know I was coming back up. <laughs> so that's the way it works. Could you hold up that book back there? We bought some books for you. What's the name of that book? God's Big Picture, Tracing the Storyline of the Bible. And who's the guy that wrote it? Vaughn Roberts. Von, I never can remember authors of books. Vaughn Roberts. Anybody read that book? Yeah. Uh, what would you think? It was real, real good, real, very helpful in just creating a narrative of the Bible and summarizing it in a short. Very short. Yeah, he, what he's done is there, there are lots of ways to think about Scripture. Uh, but this guy has done it, and Mark Genelette was the person that recommended it, and I went out and bought it right away and read it, and I've now studied it with some groups a couple times, and it's really, really helpful. We got one for each couple if you want to take it on the way out. And what it, what it does, it presents an overall narrative uh, to help us as parents, this is people, but as parents, to really get a, a, a high-level picture of Scripture so that as we're entering into that with our children, uh, we kind of know where we are. And if you think about it, so scripture is 66 books written by over 40 human authors over a period of 1,500 years. And I think that one of the things that uh, we have to decide as humans, every human that's ever drawn breath, I think, has to ask these three questions. Where did I come from? What am I supposed to do with these 73 and a quarter years or 85 and a three quarters or 102? And what happens when you want to die? Every thoughtful human, cross-culturally, should spend at least 15 minutes of their lives saying, wait a minute, where did I really come from? And by the way, that has implications on question number two. Because if I'm just an accident, then question number two's answer is, what am I supposed to do with my life? What's the answer? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Whatever you want. And if I'm just an accident, it doesn't matter what I do and that kind of thing, then the question number three, it follows from that. What happens when I die? I remember having this conversation with a man older than me, much wiser in terms of, you know, much more successful and everything like that. And he looked at me and he said, Don, if when I close my eyes, it's nothing but darkness, that's okay with me. So he had answered that question for himself. He had answered that question himself. So how did I get here? What am I supposed to do? And what happens to me when I die? Three great questions. And what scripture does, those 66 books written by over 40 human authors, over a period of 1,500 years, the more you read of it, right, the more you realize it's a single story. It's a single story about why we're here, what happened, what went wrong, and what God's done to make it right. It's a, it's a rescue story of God's restoration because it says in the very first chapter of Genesis why we were created. We were created in God's image to be in relationship with him forever. And... What went wrong? It only takes the third chapter. In the third chapter of the 66 books, something goes terribly wrong. And then God launches his rescue mission. And so what this author of this book, what he uses, he says, here's the deal. It's, it's a story about God's provision for God's people in the place that he's provided for them. And they're living in perfect harmony with him, something like that. And he takes us through the scripture and he shows, he uses that template for, for Adam and Eve, uh, for um, uh, the patriarchs, uh, for the nation of Israel, uh, for the disciples, ultimately for the church. And so if you can remember this, it, that, that book is, is, a, is a, it's a, it's a great book from that perspective. It's probably to some of you, it's overly reductionistic, but to me, it's simple. So I can remember that. 
Um, and, and another way that I've heard it, uh, if you want, it's maybe easier for your children to think about Scripture, is that um, the Old Testament predicts Jesus, the Gospels present Jesus, the book of Acts preaches Jesus, the epistles explain Jesus, and Revelation awaits Jesus. Yeah, the, the Old Testament, and, and, and this is like Mark Genelet says, we're not looking, all of the Bible is about Jesus clearly, but we're not looking for Jesus under every rock and behind every tree and when we're trying to study the Bible. But uh, another way to think about it is the Old Testament predicts Jesus. The Gospels present Jesus. The epistles, uh, I mean, the book of Acts preaches Jesus. The epistles explain Jesus. And Revelation awaits Jesus. It's a book about Jesus. It's a book how awaits, awaits, A-W-A-I-T-S. Have the same problem with Siri. (laughs) Okay, so please take one of those books. You've got there. questions, comments, observations, thoughts. The word here for us is intentionality. On the, on the way to church today, I don't, I don't like the service. I don't like yeah. the, and yeah, I grew up Presbyterian, so I, I mean, I love being Presbyterian. I love the attention now getting out and being engaged in this now, the prayer book. How do you overcome those challenges sometimes to encourage them without shaming them? Right. So what around the tables? Anybody had a, um, a uh, request from the back seat that maybe we shouldn't go or from the bed? Uh, how, how have you all, have you had any uh, creative or helpful or particularly effective ways to, to handle the Sunday morning thing, particularly with preteens and teens? Eve? I'll just say, um, you know, it's, my, it's been, you know, throughout life. I don't want to go to school. I hate school. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to my piano lesson. Oh, I don't want to go to practice, you know, yeah. whatever it is. And so it's like, yeah, it's just like, I want to know some things that can be that way. Keep on Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I Mark Genelette often says he looks at his children and says, when, when have I wearied you? You know, you, you, you wake up every morning and you show up at the table and you get three meals. And it comes from one of the prophets saying, when, you know, saying that God saying, when, when have I wearied you? You know, when exactly was it that I was doing this? May or may not work. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I said, a lot of it was up and down and up and down and up and down. And it's much older than your father's school. You go to the church and you get 45. I said, I know it's hard, but um, you're, you know, you've grown 
that somehow honors you, that serves others and pleases you. And we do it in light of that day when by your grace we will surely see you face to face. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.